Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm here with a special report or review, I guess I should say, of my uh, time last weekend where I went down to Sedona to visit with Michael, the Sedona UFO tour guide at SedonaUFOTourGuide.com. And uh, he took me on a private tour in the, uh, the the place that he goes to go away from the city lights, the few that there are in Sedona, and uh, look for UFOs in the sky and anywhere else they might be. And uh, it was a pretty incredible time. I had recorded the episode with a remote Tascam handheld recorder. I set it on the trunk of the car where we had uh, everything set up and we were standing talking and searching the sky. And then we moved over to the side of the car. So I moved the recorder to the uh, top of the car, checked it was still running and we got nothing recorded. Uh, It's there, but it's incredibly faint. And uh, I, you know, I've been an audio engineer for over 30 years. Michael's been an audio engineer for many years. And he actually has an interesting theory as to why we didn't capture any audio or any uh, usable audio. And uh, I'll uh, let him tell you that when we get to that point of the show. But first, I have to say this was just an absolutely amazing experience. One of the best hour plus uh, that I've spent in my life. And I highly encourage any of you guys to go down there and do this if you're in the Sedona area or planning to head to Sedona. Definitely want to head to Sedona UFO tour guide.com uh, and uh, check out uh, the site. And uh, he also has a YouTube channel now that he just started. So that should be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating and, and well worth the effort. Uh, it's very high powered uh, military grade night vision goggles. And I've never used night vision goggles before. So uh, for me, it, that just looking through those alone was like really super cool. And I couldn't get enough of that. And, you know, when you watch them in a movie or or on TV or something, it's kind of annoying. But when you're actually the one that's in control of what you see, it's a really, really incredible experience. And uh, I'm not going to give anything away just yet. I will let that unfold in the episode. We talk about the tour. We talk about a lot of things that are related to UFOs, aliens, uh, some myths, some legends, and that sort of thing. Uh, Definitely a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And I can't speak for anybody else. And I normally don't talk about my own beliefs. But for this, I have to say, if you've ever seen one of those recent uh, models of our solar system where they show you what a tiny little dot Earth is, even compared to Jupiter, and Jupiter is a tiny little dot in our solar system or in our galaxy. And then there are billions of other galaxies. So the the fact that we're the only intelligent life is just so hard for me to fathom. There's got to be so many other things out there that we just don't know about. So we talk about that. We talk about, you know, why people think they haven't visited us and, uh, you know, why they have and all that sort of thing. So it's a really, really fun time. Now, before I get into the episode, I want to tell you guys a story of uh, one of the times that I saw something in the sky that I can't explain. Now, remember, too, that a UFO is not necessarily an extraterrestrial craft. A UFO means unidentified flying object. That means I saw something not on the ground that I can't explain what it was, and it was in motion. I guess you could say it if it's standing still, um, but that would be a USO, which is an unidentified standing object. But that's actually a a USO is an unidentified submerged object. So I don't know what you'd call it if it's just floating there. 
But it all falls under the same thing. It's a UFO, damn it. And that's all there is to it. Uh, so when when people say, or when I say I saw a UFO, I'm not necessarily saying that something that I saw was otherworldly, because how would I know? Unless something came out of the ship and greeted me, or they beamed me up there, which I, you know, I would, I would check that out. Um, I would have no way of knowing whether it was something uh, made here that I've just not seen, a new technology, something that's being tested, uh, which, you know, of course, when when the stealth bomber came out, it's not that a bunch of people had seen the stealth bomber. That was the first time we saw it was when they brought it out. And so they had to have tested it at great length before they could bring it out and, and use it in war. I can't remember if that was the Gulf War or not. Um, I don't remember when the first time was that we saw the stealth bomber, but either way, it had been obviously had been in the air. It had been tested extensively before they brought it out to to the world to say, hey, here's a technology we have because you don't let your enemies know what you've got. Why would you play your cards if you don't need to? You know, if you can win the hand with a four, why would you play an ace? You wouldn't unless that was all you had. So I always believe that whatever technology that we see is like 15, 20 year old technology. It's it's we're way beyond what we what we show for that very purpose, for our own self-preservation. And that's certainly understandable. So here's what happened to me. Um, I've seen many things that I can't explain in my lifetime. And uh, we're also going to be talking about some stuff on the Halloween episode where we talk about ghosts and different paranormal things. Uh, but here's the thing. So I've seen things in the sky that I can't explain multiple times. Um, things that move erratically, things that seem to move very quickly and then stop and move again or change direction or, you know, kind of zigzag. And it's just stuff that I've, I've never seen anything that I know of be able to make those kind of maneuvers. I mean, the closest would be a helicopter, but certainly not at the speeds and uh, immediate changes of direction that I've seen, because even a helicopter for it to turn, it has to arc or stay in one motion, uh, stay in one spot and, and spin. Um, but typically when you see a, a helicopter turning, it's arcing, it's curving inward and, and making a turn. So I've seen things that just zip it in and change direction on, on, on a dime. But when I was still living in Chandler, Arizona, I would come up to Vegas uh, four, five, six times a year because this was my getaway. I would come up here and write. I would uh, come up here just to relax and not work at all and, uh, you know, come see a Cirque du Soleil show or whatever. And um, I was heading back one time on a Sunday morning. I want to say this was in June, but I honestly don't remember. I really should have written this all down. But I was coming back uh, and I was coming through a, a town called Wikiup which is a very, very small town. You have to slow down for a little bit and then you're back on the, on the highway again. But uh, it's about 7, 7.30 on a Sunday morning and uh, nothing's going on. I mean, there's nobody around. There's no other cars. I haven't even seen a truck for quite some time. And uh, all of a sudden, I turn this corner and I see this huge craft. I mean, it had to be, I would say five bus like city buses like five buses long if you if you put them end to end and probably um if you put them end to end probably two and a half or three across i mean this is a sizable thing and here's what was creepy about it one i didn't recognize the shape and i still don't know how to explain what that shape was because it wasn't like uh, it wasn't a disc. It wasn't a saucer. It wasn't a dome. It wasn't a diamond. It wasn't a cigar. It was, it was kind of like a Corvette um, the way it had just like interesting curves and stuff. It was not anything that you typically see that's very linear. And um, there was a pole of some sort coming out of the middle of it 
that went up above the top and pointed down towards the ground in front of it. Uh, almost like it, it was some sort of, um, I don't know if you would say like a view, not a viewfinder, but almost like it was uh, uh, like a metal detector type of thing, you know, where you pointed at the ground, like, like when you're looking for something um, that could be uh, on the ground, it could be subterranean. I have no idea. I don't even know for sure if that was the function of this, but that would make sense. Um, didn't see any windows. I don't really, re- it was, if I remember the color right, it was like multiple colors, but not, you know, they just kind of blended from one to the other. And it was like greens and blues and silvers. And, uh, but I could be mistaken on that. That could be, you know, this was years ago. So it could be some of those things that my mind is filling in the gap, but here's where it gets even creepier. So this thing moved very slow. It was a couple hundred feet off the ground and it, and it was completely silent. Like I rolled down my windows, I shut off the, the CD I was playing and there was no sound. I saw no propulsion, no jet stream, no nothing, no light, no anything. Just moved silently across the ground. And my first instinct was to pull over and take a picture. Now, back then I had a flip phone, so uh, you're not going to get any good quality pictures of it. But I was more concerned that this was an unknown quantity. I don't know anything about this. I don't know what it is. I know it's something I don't understand. I know it's something I've never seen before. And my inclination was to just don't draw attention to myself. So if I just continued on the road along my steady path, I felt more that I was safe from being noticed than if I had stopped the car and then puffed up, you know, a cloud of dust or or whatever pulling off the road. I felt instinctively that that would have drawn attention to me as opposed to just keep moving on your path. And uh and so that's what I did. I unfortunately did not get a picture of it. I wish to God I had because it was certainly something that I I would like to have uh, an explanation for, but I don't. And I've described the, the craft to uh, other people that are in the more uh, scientific study kind of, of the world in UFOs, and no one really knows what I saw. All I know is it was something that I saw that I can't explain, and that fascinates me. And of course, uh, coupled with the theory of, you know, we're, we're very unlikely that we're the only entities of physical uh, you know, physical manifestation in our own uh, galaxy, let alone the billions of other galaxies. Uh, I, but I, but again, it could have been something that our own military was testing. It could have been something another country was testing over our soil. I don't know. All I know is I saw something floating in the sky that I couldn't explain. And as I continued on my path and went through the twisty parts of the road, I just watched it fly out into the desert uh, past my view and that was it. And it just kept moving very slowly. I never saw it speed up or, or take off again. No propulsion, no nothing. Uh, very, very bizarre. Um, but I'm very glad I had that experience. And of course, that just instilled my interest in the what the hell did I just see community. And so uh, I've known Michael for years and uh, he does the uh, the Sedona UFO tour. And uh, there's another group or a couple of groups that do UFO tours, but I don't think that they have quite the equipment that Michael does. These uh, high-grade military night vision goggles are just amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And so uh, I highly encourage you guys to go to the YouTube channel, watch the videos, go to the website, see what he has to say about it. He also uh, has been a contactee and he goes around doing talks and uh, does Q&A uh, and, on his experiences. And we talk a little bit about that. Now, the last thing I'll say before I bring him on is I wanted to be very, very careful about how much that we talked about because I don't want to give everything away. Um, but saying that, 
the each and every UFO tour is unique because A, you see whatever is in the sky. There's no controlling that. So uh, one night there might be a few, one night there might be a bunch, um, but it, it's it's all based on that. And the other thing it's based on is you. What questions you ask, what stories you want to hear, what, uh, what interests you, what excites you, what you happen to feel about what you see or about the area. So every, every tour is really unique, a, a unique experience based on you as much as it is whatever happens to be in the sky that night. And I can tell you, we saw a lot of things up there. And uh, Michael will explain all of that as well as, uh, you know, a lot of stuff about aliens. And it's a shame that we didn't get the recording because we talked about so much more. I mean, I could really spend hours talking about this conversation and Michael will come back on the show again and we'll talk about uh, some other things and uh, and more UFOs. We also talk about the second Terranomaly album, which is nearing completion and the book that ties the two Terranomaly albums together, as well as the message that he's trying to get out about uh, some truths in the world. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys will listen. I can tell you the first Terranomaly album is fantastic. Uh, I've not heard the material from the second one yet, except for a couple of songs that I very, very much enjoyed. But uh, it's one of those things that I listen to nearly every day, the first album. And uh, it's a great message, uh, great messages, and it's great music. And I really like it. And it's mixed very well, too, which helps uh, for me as an audio engineer. So uh, I could keep talking about all kinds of stuff, but that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And here is Michael. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring it back a guest who has been on the show before, although this time we're going to be focusing on something a little bit different. Uh, Coming from the uh, Sedona UFO tour that I went on at his place uh, last Saturday, we're going to talk about what happened. So let's welcome Michael, the Sedona UFO tour guide. Michael, how are you today? Great, Scotty. Great to be on your show. And I really had a good time. Oh, my God. That was so much fun. Yep. It was it, like right from the get go, we started seeing things and uh, it, it, we'll get into this in, in a minute, but it was just such a phenomenal night that I, I've never looked through night vision goggles before. And these things are like super powerful and you see everything. And and we sure did. Absolutely. The uh, goggles are the uh, third generation night vision. And they're the latest model with auto-gating so that uh, you can't look at something too bright and damaging. Right. Yeah, I made the mistake of of, uh, gazing by a helicopter, and it looked like I was playing a video game with something that had a very, very bright circular shield around it. It was very intense. And that's just a helicopter. Well, Jupiter also puts out a big shield uh, in that sense. Yes, it does. That was one of the first things that that he pointed out was all the, uh, you know, here's where all the the planets are so that you know what you're looking at. You don't mistake it for anything. Uh, Because I would imagine that one of the the common problems that people have is mistaking something in the sky uh, to be something that it isn't. And uh, I I think that uh, I would say probably 90 to 95 percent of the things that we see in the sky are probably our own technology. Yeah, I would say right in that range, uh, because it's... um... Uh, in the hour to hour and a half that we are gazing with the night vision into an unbelievably deep sky, uh, we'll see anywhere from 10 to 20 craft. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, if you 
that out every night, that's that's quite a number of craft in a month. But probably only two to three things in a month that uh, I just say, hey, wait a minute, that's not ours. Really? Yeah, that's a, that's an extremely low percentage. But I would imagine the number of UFO reports would be uh, astounding through that month. Well, it's, it's interesting, as you know, that we can see um, we can see satellites with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, very faint red dot or maybe a white dot that flies over. And with the naked eye, you can see that. When you put the third generation night vision on that, again, it's so bright, it has a halo. Yes. So when people make UFO reports, uh, 99.999% of those are not using night vision. Mm. So they're only going to see something that's very close, very large, or a satellite. And to to help dispel that a little bit, I had no idea that satellites could fly that fast. The fir- the very first thing that I found in the sky, I saw something moving really quick, and I got all excited. I'm like, Michael, what's that? And you you traced it, you tracked it, you found it, and it was a satellite. And that thing was cruising. Well, if it, yeah, I guess they are, especially when you consider that they got to stay you know uh, up and not fall into the earth. So they're they're going to be doing about 25,000, 20 to 25,000 miles an hour at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, you get, and that's just in the Elliot lower orbit. And and if if you can catch them on the horizon, it, it's generally about a five minute and 25 second path from horizon to horizon. That's mind boggling if you really think about that distance, that, that something that we built can move that fast. Right. Well, I think pretty much you can thank gravity for that. Because what's happening when they're in orbit is they're constantly falling, but they're going so fast that they're always falling at the curvature of the Earth. So, even though it's falling, uh, it doesn't come any closer to the surface of the Earth. It's a controlled fall, as mm-hmm. it were. Okay. It takes you know twenty five, twenty to twenty five thousand miles an hour to maintain. Uh, you know, that altitude, that distance. Because if it changes just a little bit in either direction, without correction, uh, there, there's uh, problems soon afoot. Right. And that could be very damaging for a lot of people down here and your Verizon bill. <laughs> exactly. So the last statistic that I heard, and I don't know how accurate this is because I never know how accurate these polls and things are. But I heard that about 60 to 65% of people believe that there are extraterrestrials out there in the universe. And I, I kind of find that number staggeringly low. It just seems like with as tiny of a dot as we are in our own galaxy, let alone the billions and billions of other galaxies, why would we think we're the only ones out there? Well, first of all, I want to say that 78.4% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> including that one? <laughs> including that one. But I would also like to say that um, there's a wide variety of people. And I know that you um, get to probably experience a wider variety of cultures of people than many. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, there is a large number of uh, people in cultures who have a completely different historical reference and upbringing than we do. Hmm. So 
when you take 7.4 billion people into account, um, if you're going worldwide, then I can see why X percent would think that, uh, oh, yes, they're the only thing, uh, especially if all you've ever known is your own little village. True. But people who um, have a mathematical background, at least, I can speak for them, having been, being one of those, they cannot fathom a formula that would work its way down to only one uh, uh, level of this level of intelligence, pretend like we have intelligence, uh, sentience at least, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that, that we're it. It just, it's just a mathematically, it just does not function. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the one, uh, the one law that, that works out all the galaxies, all, all the galaxies, and then all the stars, and all the galaxies, and then all the planets, and the stars, and all the galaxies, and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, I forget the name of the, the equation. Someone will chime in perhaps and let us know the Drake equation or something. Anyways, it works out. So there's still like, you know, 10 to the 14th locations of, of uh, this level of intelligent life. And and all I'd have to say about that is for about 30 years, we've been doing commerce with at least 100 species. So I'll let you go with this one. That's uh, that's quite a staggering number, 100 species. And I think that's the other thing too, is that there, there seems to be the concept of there's us and there's aliens and that's it. <laughs> but But even just like look at all the different races that we have on Earth why wouldn't we have different races, even within one species of aliens? Let's say the greys. There's probably got to be, you know, different varieties of them and then the reptilians and all the other ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think that I'm familiar with eight or nine varieties of grey. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, about uh, five or six different Nordic types. They call them Nordic, but they really, it's like saying white people. They have uh, Nordic features or something is why they're recognized that way, right? Well, usually it's because they're tall, they're light-skinned, they're not gray, they're not green. Mm -hmm. Captain Kirk would not pick up on them. <laughs> that, that's really limiting because uh, he doesn't seem to have a lot of boundaries. <laughs> yeah, sure. This, uh, the other thing that, that I, I want to talk about before we get into the, the tour and, and your story of why you're doing this uh, is that the, the other thing that I hear quite a bit is, well, you know, if aliens existed, they would have visited us. And let's just set aside for the moment the, all the data that backs up the fact that they have many, many times. Why would we think that we're so important being this tiny little pinpoint in, in one galaxy? Why would we think that we're so amazing that if they have the technology, they would have to come and see us? They, pro they might not even know we're here. Well, uh, I can blow that open with first-hand personal experience. Yes, you can. Number one, um, Valiant Thor and Eisenhower were meeting in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's verifiable for, through a number of, of means if you know how to do research and don't watch uh, you know, commercial television. <clears throat> um, secondly, they came down and visited me. So... I mean, that, that pretty much blows the thing of why haven't they visited anybody? Of course, there's records from, uh, you know, the, the biblical texts, especially the ones that were removed by Constantine, mm -hmm. um, uh, ancient writings of Samaria, 
the India uh, is from India, the Mahaparada, the, the the Vimana that they have. There's there's all of these references uh, throughout history, if one really looks, that they have visited and they have interfaced. Now, I can tell you uh, one of the rare, because from what I understand, there's only about a million of us uh, uh, that have been contacted firsthand mm-hmm. uh, and and communicated with uh, for something other than taking uh, genetic material. Okay, because that that pretty much ended in the '80s, except for a few family lines that have made um, contracts to keep things going on. Mm-hmm. Genetic experiments going on here, but it's not like it was in the 50s and 60s when they were, you know, bringing people on board and pulling their their parts from them. Right uh, now, they are more interested in the fact that the children have matches. Okay, so just like when your three-year-old discovers that they can strike a match and almost burns down their playpen, uh, the humans have discovered a nuclear explosions which tend to make tears in the time-space fabric at harmonic distances from the first generation of the explosion on Earth. So there's there's ripple effect mm-hmm. um, that, that uh, nuclear manipulation causes in an uncontrolled scenario. So <clears throat> the kids have the matches. And ET is saying, "What are we going to do about it?" Okay, first of all, we got this rule that we're not supposed to mess with them. But secondly, uh, they could really mess things up. So the decision was made in the '50s to start making deals uh, to exchange uh, technical knowledge and things for giving up the weapon. And that's a, a part of the uh, movie uh, "Stranger at the Pentagon." where Valiant Thor uh, stayed at the Pentagon for some number of months or years. I can't remember it just, you know, right now, top of my head of how long it was, but it was quite a while. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a movie made about it, and Tara Nahomley actually played the theme song to the movie, uh, which is interesting. I think the long version is going to be coming out soon. You can see the short version online. Oh, nice. Is that on your YouTube channel? No, it's not on my channel, but if you type in a Stranger at the Pentagon... In a YouTube search field, I'm sure that you'll find a teaser for it. Okay, very cool. It, yeah, it just seems like, uh, it, to me, it seems almost an arrogant thing to say that, you know, we're so important that they would have to come and visit us. But apart from the nuclear danger, there is another reason that they come to visit us, isn't there? Well, the genetic thing is the primary uh, reason that they were visiting us, but now they want us to join their level of understanding and travel and knowledge and wisdom. And part of the contact with me was to uh, let me know that there's no reason for us to not be there except for our own lack of control over our own leadership. The, uh, the uh, corporations that control petroleum and pharmaceuticals and, and agro, you know, big, stick big in front of any of those. And they are the reason that we are not using zero point energy, anti gravity, healing beds, 
uh, frequency technology for healing, uh, no way cancer could ever grow in us because of our high oxygen and pH content. I mean, all these things, we could all be there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for the military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. Isn't that interesting that we had the, the uh, ability of foresight and yet here we still are? Right. Well, you know, as a kid learning about Nazi Germany, I always wondered, how is it possible? How is it possible that a people to just let something like that grow and happen and take over in 10 years mm-hmm. uh, uh, your whole country? It just I just couldn't see how anybody could be so dumb. Yeah, I mean, but but the thing that gets me about that time, too, is how easily manipulated people were. I mean, to think that they're told that here's another uh, type of human being and they're horrible and they need to be destroyed and you're in charge of burning them and you're in charge of torturing them and you're in charge of experimenting on them. I, I, I don't know how you get so far beyond humanity that you are, are willing to do that without a second thought. Have you watched CNN or MSNBC lately? I never do, no. <laughs> but there you go <laughs> that will get it <laughs> right well i what i'd like like you to do is well first let me ask you before you were contacted did you believe in in ufos and aliens or was that something that the contact moment changed for you you know i knew uh that logically uh they must exist i think in probably um sixth and seventh grade, I was reading um, Thor Heyerdahl and Von Daniken. Um, I had already been on several petroglyph excursions with my folks. They liked, they were really big on archaeology and anthropology. Hmm. Um, My stepdad was the United States Regional Manager of Peruvian Airlines. So they knew about the tunnels in Peru and the golden tablets that were found and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I heard about all that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I saw the glyphs of UFOs and men with helmets on rocks on South Mountain in Phoenix, really? uh, where the Phoenix Lights 42 craft all met right there at Sierra Estrella, South Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I had uh, logically um, concluded that, yeah, this wouldn't all be there for no reason. And then, of course, when I read Genesis, and that's something entirely different than what the preacher was trying to tell me Genesis meant, because mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, with no preconceived conclusion. And so, therefore, I realized that we were created, uh, not randomly uh, um, atomized by, by evolution. <clears throat> so I also realized it wasn't done by a big guy with a beard with breath on dust. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate, you know, by, by fifth or sixth grade, I could appreciate metaphoric um, parables. I think there's also a control issue with that too, because if people thought that uh, you came here and you did everything that you did and then you died and that was the end of it, there would be no repercussion for anything that you did that was wrong or, or hurtful to someone else. So I can appreciate the that side of it, that if you have a, a fear of repercussions for your actions, it keeps a lot of people in check. Yeah, but why not teach what your, what your um, designated savior uh, said, and that is 
uh, we have reincarnation. We come back. Right. Oh, no. Constantine had to pull that one out. We can't have that in the Bible. Well, because it's easier to control people if they're afraid. Exactly. Yeah. Fear, of course, is the great stopper of all mankind. And I say that on my tour. I'm sure you remember that from the tour. I do. Fear, yeah. stopper of all mankind. And the antithesis to fear is knowledge. Mm-hmm. So knowledge displaces fear, just like WD-40 displaces water. That's right. And it also keeps your doors squeak free. <laughs> if only I could figure out how to clean my pineal gland with WD-40. <laughs> if anyone could figure it out, I wouldn't doubt it would be you. For for me, um, it was when I was really young. Uh, we we I grew up in Michigan, so we were not far from Ohio. And uh, we went to my grandparents took uh, my brother and I to Ohio for a couple of days, and we they took us to Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which is where the uh, craft and, and the bodies were supposedly taken after the Roswell incident in forty seven. And right. I was just I, I I mean I'm like you know, six or seven years old, probably at this point. And I'm like, Oh, can we see him? You know, I was just so excited. And he's like, no, they're never going to let you see him, <laughs> you know? Um, but that was, it was really my grandfather that, um, that got me so intrigued by it because he had filmed that, uh, famous sighting of the UFOs at the Capitol in, in DC in the fifties. Wow. And, uh, then, uh, we, we would, whenever we would stay with them, we would go out on like, we would go watch the meteors and then we'd go out looking for UFOs and things. And, I can only say that I have seen things in the sky that I cannot explain, which is the very definition of a UFO. It's the connotation when people say UFO, you automatically think aliens. But a UFO just means I've seen something in the sky that I can't identify. Exactly right. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the UFO group that he filmed were Nazi UFOs. Really? Well, I know that Hitler was experimenting quite a bit with the anti-gravity technology. There's really good footage of that. They already had a base on the moon by the time that uh, the war uh, included the United States. Was most of that work being done out of Antarctica? Antarctica and uh, Argentina, tip Argentina. Do you know that? Did you just hear about that earthquake that was off the middle of Chile last night? I, I did not. I believe that that's a base that they hit. Really? Yeah. Wow. Some of the latest fires in California, the, the, the sewer system, the water handling system is on fire underground. Really? How does that happen? Yeah, that's when rare. It's a forest fire jumping with embers from places. How does this raging fire emerge from a drain uh, and smoke pouring out of the neighboring drain well, uh, if it's a forest fire. Yeah, I'm sorry, but there's uh, some a DEW and an underground base elimination going on in California. Well, I don't know of too many underground forests, but, I, you know, that's just me. That that does seem a little bit suspect for sure. But this kind of stuff is going on all, all over the world, though. There's bases all over the place. Yeah, and, and when you hear about uh, some munitions uh, dump blowing up or uh, this weird uh, uh, explosions happened at this shipping base, um, yeah, they're not just weird things. Those are tactical strikes. Mm-hmm. It's like all versus the alliance, and there's tactical strikes going on right now. Now, is that is that a sort of them against us scenario, or is that them against a different them scenario? 
Um, it's more um, long-time controllers of this planet, both human and non-human, against the theory that humans can be free, self-thinking, self-governing beings. How dare we? Yeah. <laughs> well, right? let me, I don't want to get uh, too far into this because I really want people to to experience this as part of the tour. But if you right. would just just give us a little bit of a taste of what happened to you the night that you were visited. Sure. Um, I was laying in bed. It was about three in the morning. It was a uh, three three uh, oh five, I think, uh, if I counted back from when I first saw the clock in the kitchen. So uh, July of 2001 in Phoenix, in our house, uh, Carla and I uh, in bed, uh, asleep, and I'm uh, suddenly lift, uh, moving off of the bed. And it wasn't under my own control. So I'm sliding off the bed, and I look over in great surprise at Carla, and she's trying to say, Michael, and it's coming out, oh. Was, did they kind of subdue her so that she wasn't interacting with them? Numbed every, they numbed every voluntary muscle, including her tongue and her, and her jaw. Wow. So it was a very, very strange but quick event as I'm uh, now going down the hall and going into the upright position uh, at about the end of the hall where my toes hit the floor and I turn around to the kitchen and there are three eight foot very white slightly blue like new headlights on cars mm -hmm. very slightly blue uh individuals uh with about 25 percent larger eyes than ours about 50 percent of the nose and mouth of me and um uh their eyes were almost quite blue oh wow okay and I, I couldn't really tell a pupil. Mm -hmm. I was uh, going back and forth between wanting to look in the eye and not wanting to look in the eye, as I've been told uh, by others that looking into the eye can you know immediately hypnotize you. And I wanted to be as conscious as possible for this. So mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a fear as much as it was a defense mechanism against being taken over, just in case. Right. Yeah. Well, it uh, ended up not of being interested in taking me over or abusing me or applying any anal probe whatsoever. That's that. Well, plus one for them. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and, and so, uh, these, these three, uh, beings collectively, uh, and then it was like one in the middle was kind of bigger. And the one on each side was kind of not as big. I mean, mass wise and energy is like, there was one that was kind of more, uh, in charge. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And two, or, and there might be one male and two female, or well, I don't know, because there was, there was no obvious um, sex to them. Mm -hmm. uh, there were star-shaped people, um, like we. There's there was like uh, no really differentiation as to male female, right to tell. And and the outfit, it's hard to tell where that ended and the skin began. Mm. And their head was kind of bumpy uh, on top, although I didn't really detect hair as it were. Mm -hmm. But that's about as much detail as I've been able to pull in 18 years of more and more of the information unrolling as life goes on. Uh, do you know what race they were? 
Uh, they were, uh, I only got that they were from the Crux constellation. How far would that be? Uh, that's, uh, you know, I don't know. You can only see Crux if you're below the equator. Oh. And uh, that constellation is um, only about uh, one to the only five stars. So it's going to be one of those five stars, but they really weren't interested in telling me that. They weren't interested in telling me which star or which planet of which star. Just uh, They just kind of pointed to Crux wow. in visual. All this uh, communication that was done is purely in a video stream. Uh, they downloaded a stereo video stream right to the center of my forehead. Um and that was 12 and a half minutes. And it seemed like uh, a completely removed from time period of time. Like I have no idea what, what, whether it would have felt like a day or what, but I was removed from time. But I had seen the microwave clock when I first came into the room and I looked at the microwave clock after I had the ability to kind of um, manipulate myself a little bit. And it just turning 13 minutes. So I figured 12 and a half minutes of video gallery. Wow. What, it, was it scary that you had no control over yourself or did you feel comfortable with them once you got past the shock of what was going on? I, I didn't really have a shock. I just kind of had a, I was more, con- the most thing that concerned me the most was Carla. Right. I mean, it seemed like, okay, well, this is supposed to happen. The thing for me would have been if I were Carla, like, why didn't they want to talk to me? Aren't I interesting? No. She, and she did have that uh, a couple of years later down the road. Uh, we had moved to another house and she had her own story, but I'll let her tell that one. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, we'll have to uh, have to have her back. Uh, oh, yeah. So this is this is quite some time ago. Was this the only time that you've been visited? This was the last time that I've been. The first time I've been face to face. The last time I was face to face that I know of visited was in July of 2001. Um, but the information keeps unrolling. Okay. So it, as information is needed, it seems to appear. Mm-hmm. And then I try and go and verify it, then it's always corroborated with, you know, behind the scenes stories of things that you can uh, pull out if you're really good with a search engine. Right. Yeah. And did you, uh, what do you think of these stories of people that get abducted and they find artifacts in their body? I believe that a million people have been contacted. That's, that's the, uh, since, you know, this century in this century, mm-hmm. in other words, this was in 2001. So it's like immediately around that time, a million people have been contacted. So I was one of a million people of these 7 billion people mm-hmm. that are on earth that have been contacted now. Did they put? Uh, a, I've seen scars on me that uh, that you know all of a sudden were there, and four days later they kind of go away, and 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 I don't know where it came from, and you know things like that happen. And it's not like I travel to uh, Central America and go through the jungles or anything. I'm right. Just yeah. You know, be fairly uh, limited to the unusual species that I would interact with uh, on an insect level. So. Uh, I, I don't know sometimes what these are. Maybe they're, uh, you know, taking samples of, of my skin. Maybe they're putting a, a device in, taking it out. Other people I've seen, I have seen, you know, I do healing. I've seen uh, concentrations of energy 
in people at places where they say that they have, you know, an implant. Now, I'm not saying it was an implant right. from either or or the watchers, uh, what you call men in black, or uh, you know some uh, mysterious force. I don't know, but I have seen concentrations of energy, and that usually means that there's something foreign, uh, anywhere from a protein to a device. I think it would make sense if they're you know if they're keeping track of say a million people, because I assume that if they found a reason to visit you in the first place, there's there's some and and keep downloading to you. Uh, there's got to be some way for them to not have to hunt everybody down all the time if they want to go visit them or send something to them. So I don't. I, I think it would be understandable if they did put some kind of implant in there, even if it's just a tracking device, so that they know where you are if they need you. And there's no reason why it can't be made purely out of a carbon-based um, material to look like biology. Sure, yeah. Now, I, I'm not excusing the fact that they're putting something in your body against your will. That's a, that's a whole different topic. But I just mean from you know from their purpose of why they might do something like that, I I could see at least a reason for it. I I would I would tend to agree. I mean, people people put them in their dogs, and people put them in their kids, and people put them in their selves. So yeah, there's at least some amount of the population that's okay with it. That's true. And for the dogs and the kids, it's usually not voluntary too. <laughs> Woof! Put a chip in my neck. Probably right. not. Yeah. Well, I mean, the kids might have some kind of choice, but not the dogs. Uh, the dog, not tracking circuit. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you really quick too. Uh, you had mentioned the Phoenix Lights earlier. Was I? I've always wondered if the main sighting, because I know that there were multiple craft. There was a V-shaped craft, and then uh, the the one around the mountain. But for the one around the mountain, was that one craft, or were those multiple crafts? There was a grand total of 42 craft that flew into the Phoenix area that night. Wow. So the one that they tried to tell you happened was the big uh, flying V. Right. I would have chosen an explorer myself, but, you know, they chose a flying V. That's a joke for all the Gibson players out there. That's right. It is. Michael Shanker fans, too. <laughs> so uh, the the uh, big V thing is what everybody talked about. I was probably the biggest ship. But... It, it was a scene out of um, uh, what was it? Uh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Where yeah. they've got ball of light ships, they've got angular ships, they got tumbling ships, they got flat ships, they got spherical ships. It was forty-two craft. And uh, if someone knows what to search for, they can find the map that shows the path of every one of these craft flying in by eyewitness testimony. Uh, an interview and tracking, you know, what did you see? Well, I saw that one, but I also saw this one at this time. And so they, somebody has constructed, as I've seen it, uh, a map showing all the craft. I mean, there's reports from Yuma. There's reports of Prescott. There's reports from Superstition Mountains. There's reports from, you know, all over of craft that flew at uh, and into and through some portal at South Mountain. Well, didn't didn't the V-shaped craft that actually went across three states? That was seen in at least three states. Yeah, yeah. There's Nevada, Utah, and Arizona. Also. Okay, so you mentioned a portal. Let's talk about that. One of the other uh, arguments I hear against uh, the fact that aliens exist is that uh, time that kind of travel, like you can't travel faster than the speed of light, which is not true. Uh, <laughs> but but they're saying that there's no way that they could get here from that far away. 
But I think people tend to think within the limitations of our understanding and our capabilities to master physics, we just assume that we know everything and no one could have better technology or, or have found ways around that than we do. But our, but but those sort of like, uh, uh, they're almost like warps, right? Where you can just go in that thing and then come out wherever you want? Well, the great thing about uh, wormholes is there's two kinds. There's natural and there's artificial. So the natural ones are handy to have mapped out and used, and we have one that's close to our sun. Uh, the um, artificial ones can be generated as necessary, just as is done uh, by several uh, superhero characters and spaceships on sci-fi. Mm -hmm. So uh, both uh, are done. Uh, the the U the the uh, UN the UP United Planet Earth um, whatever you want to call it secret space program whatever you want to call it um, they have uh, had access to this one here by Seoul for twenty some years. Of course, we also now have a lot of craft, but that's the subject for another time. Yes, uh, that's interesting though. I mean, it's amazing to know that as much as we think we understand how everything works. There's so much more that we haven't even touched on yet. I mean, we, we haven't explored even 20% of our own oceans, let alone space. And if we did, we'd find a lot of bases where these uh, flying craft are coming out of. Well, that's the other thing. You know, people say they can't travel that far, but how do we know how far they're really coming from? I mean, they could be coming from Jupiter. They could be coming from the moon. Uh, they might not be that far away. And, and I'm talking outside of the bases and things that we have here, but they might not be as far away as we think. Well, D equals one over T. So uh, I just gave away the time travel formula. So distance is relative based on the time, and the time can be manipulated based on the gravity. So, you know, there really is no distance unless we leave everything exactly as it is. Mm -hmm. uh, when we start manipulating the time-space fabric or or, uh, you know, graviton streams or uh, wormhole anomalies, then all those rules of physics, they go out the window. It's like it's like calculating how to fly a plane except for wind. And we're going to leave wind out. Well, that makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? Right, yeah. You go down the runway, it doesn't matter, day, night, uh, what's going on. There's no wind. It's just very simple. But when you start throwing a 40-knot crosswind on that runway, uh, it makes landing a whole other task. And, and and it's a whole nother set of of uh, of you know turns and maneuvers that you have to do that didn't exist in the calm world. Okay, well now that's kind of an analogy to what's real physics versus what they teach you in the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, teach you a subset, and then and then you know the full set is reserved as uh, occult knowledge uh, for an elite few or the breakaway civilization or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, it's it's amazing how uh, how that can all be manipulated without thought. You know that it, that to some people that's just a, or some races I should say just a, oh you just do this. You know, almost like saying you know you just go down to the the street and you turn left and then you're at the convenience store. It's it's just right. that simple. Um, my last question that I want to ask you before we start talking about the tour is, uh, what are your thoughts on the Black Knight satellite? That's that one's a fascinating one to me. Uh, my my latest information is that uh, the Black Knight satellite, a thirty five thousand year old satellite containing 
basically the reboot instructions. It's like the boot ROM of planet Earth. So all the DNA, all that, all of the uh, agents necessary to balance uh, the atmosphere and the water and all that kind of stuff, all that information was contained in Black Knight. And some uh, Yahoo decided it would be a good idea to shoot at it. And so somebody shot at it and it left. Oh, it's not there anymore? It took off in a super uh, fast uh, uh, swoosh and was gone. That's, that was my latest understanding is it's not here now. I'd be happy to have someone say, oh, no, it never went anywhere. Because that's one of those uh, stories that I have not corroborated. I haven't been out in space since that happened. So I can't tell you. Right. I can't there yeah. or not. Well, that that would be a shit. But I, I would have to think that if it it ha- would have the ability to come back just as easily as it could go away. I mean, that's been sitting there for quite some time. Agreed. Yeah. Well, at least I hope so. That might not happen until the big event. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about the tour. Uh, I, I, you know, it's going to be a fine line how much I want to talk about because I really I want to get people an understanding of what it is. But at the same time, I don't really want to give too much away because it's really something that you kind of have to just experience uh, the wonders of it. But I'll, I'll start out with saying that uh, you took me out to this really uh, nice, clear area out in Sedona. And uh, there were not a huge amount of city lights. You could really get, even with the naked eye, you could get a good amount of uh, view of the stars. Uh, but we were also up against a full moon, which was very bright. How much does that affect what we were able to see? Probably 15%. I mean, certainly the more you looked towards that direction, the less the visibility got. Uh, Absolutely. And when... when flying towards the moon, they tended to uh, fade away when they really weren't fading. They were just being drowned out by the moonlight. Right. And that's the real challenge, I think, of this is because you don't really have a, a gauge to see how far something is. So you don't know how big or small it is. And you really can't tell too too well how fast it's traveling if you don't know the distance. So that's that's the one thing I think that's challenging. But to see, just to look through those, those finder, viewfinders, and just see things just streaking across the sky. I, I mean, it was just, it was, it's, it really is something that you have to see for yourself. Well, and on any given night, there can be any combination of surprises. Yes. For instance, last night, um, I had a tour and uh, we were watching this ship that was flying in a, in a uh, north northwest direction, and we were watching it for some time because we I said, "Now look around because there may be like another ship flying with it, but not right next to it." And we were, and, and as I finished that sentence, it shot something out that looked like a shooting star. At if it was going at twelve o'clock, it shot it out like eight o'clock. So it wasn't right, right out the back; it was kind of off to the side a bit, and. Everybody saw it, and it was like, I've never seen that before. Did it seem like it was a weapon? It could have been a weapon. It could have been a probe. It could have been the dirty poop from the toilet. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but it, it, something something came out the side of that thing, and it looked it, it, from, from, um, 
from right, we saw right where it, it happened, and it looked like a shooting star basically came out the side of the ship. Well, you know, there's some videos uh, going around of UFOs that are shooting out other objects, and they look like you know smaller UFOs. But when you when you look at the UFOs collectively, they don't look like they could fit in that ship. So, and I'm always skeptical of YouTube videos that I see, or or really any uh, UFO videos I see, because it's so easy to make them yourself with amazing quality and and sound design that I'm very very skeptical of anything I see online. Well, I can guarantee you that the videos that go on SedonaUFOTourGuide.com and all the peripherals for that, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all, those are all first-gen uh, out-of-mind camera. Mm-hmm. And I will sometimes edit um, boring pieces or pieces with not as much stuff going on out to just focus on the exciting thing of the night. Um, there's no ever any added dots or anything Although sometimes I will add arrows to point out what's moving in case it isn't obvious. Well, I think that's fair. But what what I and thank you for taking the time to do that, because there's nothing that bugs me more than seeing there's a, you know, an eight minute video and nothing happens until the minute like minute seven. And they could have just cut all that stuff out because it was completely extraneous. Uh, so thank you for not wasting my time. <laughs> Uh, so the, the first thing that happened, uh, we, we put the goggles on and then, uh, like almost right away, I saw this thing streaking across the sky, which turned out to be the satellite. Right. But it was, it was what, one thing that's great is that when, if you see something and you're trying to point it out to me, you have a laser pointer that I can see through my viewfinder and I can follow that to the spot where it stops and I can see what you're finding very quickly. So if it's moving fast or if it's not going to stay in our view for long, uh, you get us there very fast. Is that, uh, what's the, uh, how, how does that work? Well, I just find that it's, uh, it's easier, uh, quicker, especially when something's moving quickly across the sky to have somebody else looking for the laser beam, especially because they don't do this every night. Right. I do this every night because it's unfair because I don't even have to look at them. As you know, I can just tell where they are first and then see them. But, most people don't have that skill, and most people you know, don't have a lot of time under the goggle. So uh, the quicker I show them something moving and identify it, whether it's an airplane, a satellite, or a ship, you know, the sooner that the knowledge is hitting them, and they can start then looking for that type of thing. Because at first, it's okay, now look for UFOs. Does it occur to you to look for the teeniest, tiniest dot moving amongst the stars? Mm-hmm. Does, uh, does it automatically make you say, well, I should find the dimmest thing I can see and see if it's moving? No. Uh, you know, you think, oh, it's going to be a giant UFO. It's going to be round and little green men are going to look out. I mean, you know, so it, it, that, that first few minutes of training for a satellite and an airplane, now look at it without the goggles, now look at it with the goggles, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of differentiates satellites, ships, and planes. Uh, I think I like to get that done like in the first five minutes. Yeah. So the whole tour is seeing ships because the whole rest of the tour there's ships going by there are and i'm glad that i saw the satellite first because that really kind of set a uh, a perception for not just getting excited about every single thing that i see streaking across the sky looking at it you know looking at it rationally instead of just jumping to oh my god there's a spacecraft you know because clearly that was man-made 
but it's still, I mean, for one, if you if you're judging this based on seeing like uh, that sort of technology being used in a movie, and you're looking and it's green, and it's kind of annoying when you watch it in a movie, but when you're in control of it, it's it's mind blowing. Yes, and a chance if you uh, for you to test your intuition. Yes, very much so. But we we just kept seeing things, and there were some that uh, that I happened to spot before you did, and that became a fun little game of trying to get you to point where I was seeing with your pointer, <laughs> you know, right. because I could say up more, but if you're at a slightly different angle than I am, you could be going up and to my right instead of just right. up. So it was a lot of uh, direction, but but we we got pretty good at that fairly quickly. So I, what I do is like I just try to glance over at the person and see where the, what direction their goggle is in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I do have lasers available for everybody uh, as long as they're comfortable with one hand holding a thirty-one hundred dollar goggle. Yeah, you know, then then okay, here you can hold this fifty dollar laser in your other hand. Just don't drop either one. Uh, and you know, a lot of people have no problem with that. And they do that. You know, uh, fortunately, Space Buick is always there to lean the neck against when you're tired. Yeah, that was a good idea. And, you know, I think the thing for me is that I'm just, I was just so excited to to be there and to be seeing things a whole different way. And, and that I, I, and I'm always a little bit shaky anyway, but I was definitely nervous about the goggles because yes, they are very expensive, but you, uh, you actually have a package where, you know, you don't have to go on the tour to get the goggles. You actually sell packages, right? Oh, absolutely. On my, on my site, there's a products uh, tab. And, um, you know, if you go on and look, as I do quite often on eBay for these Omni 7 auto gated PVS 3s, uh, PVS 7s, um, there's a, uh, about $3,100 and up for them. But I'm selling the goggle, the head rack, the, um, laser, uh, the super three volt battery, extra battery for the laser and a charger all in a hard shell plastic foam inserted case for 2400 That's amazing. That's a great price. And, and I might add that Christmas is coming. <laughs> just going to throw that out there. <laughs> and the thing was, you know, I was just over at um, Dimensions of Disclosure in Ventura uh, at the end of August, mm-hmm. and I sold all of my Omni 2, Omni 3s there. So these are only uh, a couple of months out of the refurb factory um, for our use. So, so the, yeah, that's why you notice that there's almost no flaws in in the in the vision that you're looking at. It was incredible. Yeah, most of them have you know pretty good size, uh, maybe up to four or five percent of flaws in the in the tube. Ours now one percent the most. They're yeah. really really good. I don't know how far I could see, but I'm pretty sure I could see to the end of the universe. I mean, it just seemed endless and with clarity. Well, I know that you saw Andromeda Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I did. And that's three, three and a half million light years. That's that's why can't my optometrist give me that? <laughs> I'm lucky if I can see the street signs. That'd be 20 slash 20 million vision. Yeah. <laughs> um, now. But that, you know, these goggles, they don't magnify. They don't magnify size. They only magnify light. So they've got about a thousand times light magnification, but one times size magnification. So when you saw 
the Andromeda galaxy, um, that's the same size that you would see it with your eyeball if you could see that dark. That's good though, because when you're when you're looking at the craft, you don't want a distorted version of what you're seeing. You want to see the actual size of it so that you can gauge, you know, uh, the depth of it. While that's true, I do want to um, uh, get a five times magnifier for my one that I'm shooting video with. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I know sometimes I can see a triangle. Like last night, uh, not the ship that shot the thing up the side, but just a little after that, there were two flying in formation. And I swear I could see that they were a triangular shape, but really hard to make a absolute determination without a little magnification. So I'm thinking about getting a five times magnifier and then um, shooting video with that. I think that would be great. And now the, are you talking about the TRB-3s? Yes, I am. Okay. Now those, the, you and I talked about this too. Those we believe are terrestrial. That They're not uh, alien driven. Well, the TR-3B was uh, taken from a design that was given to the Nazis that they didn't get a chance because of its complexity to get finished and build. We've now had four generations of TR-3Bs. And I don't know for a fact that other groups don't use a triangular-shaped crap with a light on each corner and a big ball in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It could be like, you know, a GM model that, that you know, Alpha Centauri stole. I right. don't know. Yeah. Um, and I know that we use them in military reconnaissance, and I believe the fourth generation is super light. Mm-hmm. In other words, fast and light. Right, which people think we can't do. Uh, now, yeah. the... Also can't to come here at the same time unless you practice <laughs> well that's it right i mean you have to you have to learn all the time you uh you you were talking about the pointer earlier and this is another thing that i i well actually let's let's uh, take a step back because you just mentioned that that this came from uh, the german technology uh there was a a project that happened during was it right after world war ii i think uh called project paperclip what can you tell us about yeah. that it was the importation of the the Nazi scientists uh, that that um, the U.S. was interested in, and of course, you know, uh, Russia or the Soviet Union had its um, picks of who they wanted. So they got some, and we got some. So we just did like a here. Here's the ones that are focused more on what we're interested in, and. They got the ones that were focused more on what they were interested in technology-wise. Uh, they were they're very interested in the occult, off-world uh, mental connection mm. for receiving information, uh, as well as you know space travel. We were interested in space travel and any kind of advanced technology that could be used for weaponry. Mm. So um, we each got specialists who were better than the others in those uh, technologies. We got Werner von Braun, and, you know, they got uh, a few uh, others um, that uh, really helped them along in their their PK, uh, their um, telepathy, their technical remote viewing. Uh, all, they, they were way ahead of our people. Now, uh, 
getting back to the tour and thinking about what happened. So you have the laser pointer and you would show me where the craft was and I would see it. And then you would flash the craft and the clap, the craft would flash back. Well, that happens once in a while. Um, I believe that it has to happen with a particular class of Navy shuttle. Uh, and I think that it, there's a, a programmed reaction when the ship receives any kind of uh, photonic columnar pulse, uh, a.k.a. laser and maser and other types of uh, collimator photon technologies, because those technologies are, if you scale them up, very dangerous and weapon. I believe that they have detectors to detect it, but I think that somebody with a sense of humor like me programmed into the ship that if it receives a little tiny one, uh, that it's a laser pointer, so just go ahead and flash back. Well, but what's amazing to that is how far away these things have to be. I mean, I think that one, the first one that, that you did that with, you said it's probably about 70 miles up in the air. 70 right. miles, and it can see your tiny little pinpoint of light. Yes, because the photons go. I mean, you can see three and a half million light years to Andromeda. True. So if your sensor was better than third generation night vision, imagine what you would see. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you say that, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and their technology is way better than my night vision. I can guarantee that. Oh, I would, I would have to think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would imagine that they have the technology to see through things, not just distance, but actually see through solid objects. Well, we have the technology to see through solid objects, and there's binoculars that are made that are now used by certain law enforcement agencies that can see right through your wall. Wow. Are you talking like heat vision technology? It's a it's a LIDAR, it's an adaptive LIDAR technology. So they're using a radar frequency to go through a penetrating frequency that goes through, you know, you know, uh, drywall and brick and stuff like that, wood, and it sees densities on the other side. Wow. That's crazy. So they can tell whether you're walking in the room, whether you're standing against a wall. Wow. I'm just going to start standing against a wall for no reason for a while just to bore them so that they'll go away. Well, I have countermeasures designed for all this stuff, of course, and that's my specialty. So sometime we'll talk about Yes. Yes, for sure. So I would say we were out there probably an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. And in that time, and we, we stopped uh, quite a bit. We weren't looking through the goggles that much because we would stop and talk. Uh, we tried to record the podcast. I, you know, I've been an audio engineer going on 30 years now, and I have no idea why that recording came out the way it did. I, it sounded like, and I'm just out there with a Tascam handheld recorder. I set it down on the trunk. We weren't moving the car, but it sounded like something kept scraping against the microphones. And then it sounded like something had pressed itself against the microphone so that everything was really muffled. And then there were these random clicks. And I have no explanation for why that recording didn't come out. Well, I can tell you that the grounds that we were on are uh, ancient Indian battlegrounds where the Indians lost badly. And... Uh, there, there's a lot of people uh, that do ghost tours and uh, paranormal tours in Sedona. Uh, and it, and some of them are legit, and some of them have some pictures that are pretty uh, interesting, showing like bodily outlines that, that aren't there, but they're there. Uh, 
Um, so maybe someone just was uh, being a pain and found an opportunity. That could I be. I don't know. That Probably could not be. Answer. Well, and yeah, and I didn't know that about that area. Uh, it's a really, you know, other than that, it's a really cool area, <laughs> you know, other than the the history of it, uh, because you really, you really, you're not encumbered by anything. You're not encumbered by the city lights because Sedona really doesn't have a lot of that. Uh, it's, it's a town that shuts down fairly early and, uh, and there's, you know, there's stuff going on around you, but, uh, but you have a really good view of everything. It's a great place to do the tour. Sedona is a dark sky community. It's an official dark sky community, which means there can only be certain amounts of light at night and keep that certification. Really? Okay. That makes sense. But it also, the town does kind of shut down fairly early. So, you know, the businesses and things are not going to have a lot of lights on. And there's really not a big downtown area in Sedona. That's correct. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great spot to do this. And, um, I would say though, through that time, because like I said, we weren't, we weren't looking through the goggles the whole time we were trying to do the podcast recording. Of course, we didn't know it wasn't working. Uh, so there was a lot of that time where we were not looking, but I would say in the time that we were, which had to be a good solid half an hour to 45 minutes, we saw probably 15 or more craft. Yeah, I was, that's the number that was popping into my mind as you were talking about you could use that's where you were going. And I was kind of trying to say, gosh, I know there was more than a dozen. Yeah. But I don't think there were 20. So, yeah, right about in there. And then, of course, add the satellites and airplanes and all that stuff on top of that. But sure. That, yeah, we saw. Do, do we not see a pair flying together as well? I was just going to get to that. So I, I happened to catch uh, two craft that were moving. You know, and, and I hate to say that they were moving fast because when you're up against a space background, you have nothing. It's not like you can line it up with trees or anything like that and really gauge how fast these things are moving. But these things, they seemed to be moving because I had to turn at a, at a decent rate to track them. And, you know, uh, if you think about the distance and if they're moving far away from me and I have to move to track them, they've got to be going fast. But they were in perfect tandem, staying exact same distance apart from, apart from each other. And they kept flying towards the moon until they faded out of our view. Because, of course, like we said earlier, you can only see so much as they head towards that light. But that was fantastic. And they could very well have left space because that's what happens when you see a ship going over the top of you and all of a sudden it fades out. Right. It actually turns out into space and leaves orbit. And if they were headed towards the moon, they very well could have been on their way to LOC. Mm -hmm. And you thought that those were the TRBs too, right? Yes. Yeah. I've always wanted to see one of those up close, though. I, I have to admit, that's a bucket list item. If I could pick a UFO to see, uh, because I think it's just such a fascinating design, especially with the sphere in the middle and, and just they're so quiet. Have you ever seen one pulse up and, and, and vanish? You know, I would like to say yes, but again, it's something I saw in a video on the net, so I can't give it 100% yes, I have. Well, I hope that one of these times when you visit me again, we'll go out and we'll get a chance to see one. I would love that. And yes, I will definitely be coming back. I mean, for one, I love hanging out with you guys, but uh, I would I would do that tour any night. And I think it's amazing that you get to do that every night and see the the kind of things that you see. And, and as you know, it's, it's not only uh, showing people ships, it's giving them the information that's uh, so, so um, motivating for me. 
Exactly. And I want to talk about your book that's coming out that is uh, sort of in tandem with uh, the work that you do with the band Terra Anomaly. But before we do that, the one thing that I, I have to say was a little bit disappointing and not of any fault of your own, because you whatever we see in the sky is what we see. But of all the crafts that we saw, you felt that everything that we saw was terrestrial. Yes, I, I do. So it, what, give us like, because you, you had said to me a little bit uh, before we started recording, you were talking about your, your statistics over a month. What would you say your statistics of craft that you see over the course of a month and how much, what percentage of that you think is actually ex- extraterrestrial? Well, if, if I were to go out every night in a month, there would probably be two to three nights that I would see something that I would say, that's not ours. I, I call them exotics. I say, there's an exotic. That's not one of ours. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you only go out, I know we're not doing seven tours a week at this time. So it's probably about once every three months, once every quarter, that I'm seeing an exotic. Wow. And uh, this is why, you know, as I was mentioning to you before we started recording, that I really need to up my game on the video end on every night and just get get stuff every night on video so that uh, that gem will be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, here's here's the scary side of that though, uh, is that if if that small of percentage is what you think visits us from an extraterrestrial standpoint, that means that all those things that we saw in the sky are ours. Yeah. And but when I say ours, I mean the collective Earth. I don't necessarily mean the United States, but that means that all of that is made here and we have technologies that blow away anything that we're shown, which is understandable. Um, that's all ours. Ab- absolutely. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know that I'm an inventor, an experimenter, and and have done you know, exotic technologies and energy generation that, you know, don't involve or wind or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, if I can do it with no budget, imagine what highly classified uh, facilities with spook rooms and, and you know, anti-listening technology and, you know, everything. Imagine what they can do with a trillion dollars. That's right. I would love some anti-listening technology. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's such a, such a good point, and I think that that that's really one of the most fascinating parts about it is because we we don't tend to think about that, and I think again it goes back to how many reports to move on our 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 own stuff that people just don't realize. Yeah, that was made here. Oh, I would say probably seventy five percent or more. I think I'm being pretty conservative there. Seventy five percent or more of the non swamp gas, non Venus. Uh, non-airplane uh, reports that are made to move on are our technology that people see. Yeah, and that that in a way it's it's amazing from a scientific standpoint, but from just a, we don't know what's going on around a standpoint, it's actually kind of terrifying. And that is why uh, my greatest object uh, and and goal and motivation is to replace that fear with knowledge. Yes. Let's talk about that. So when you were on the show last time, we talked about Terra Anomaly and we talked about the message. Why don't you refresh everybody on what Terra Anomaly is all about? Sure. Uh, Terra Anomaly 
was a uh, creation with uh, former members uh, to create a a really different sounding uh, rock band, and and we ended up doing um, songs like um, uh, uh, was it hard drinking, uh, fast smoking, double stogie woman. I mean, just <laughs> really stuff that we that we did in the beginning until we kind of found our niche and our niche kind of became when I started writing uh, the material and focusing on, on the constitution, on self-determination, on free will, doing the right thing, you know, that kind of, that kind of, uh, of, of a, of a spine that, that kind of held the whole album together. And, and the first album that we did was called wake up. It was just Jeff Bird and myself, uh, Jeff would uh, record some music tracks uh, and send them to me, and I would record tracks and send them to him. And and I did the vocals and lead guitar work and that kind of stuff. And he did most of the drums and bass and that kind of stuff. So it was a uh, it was a, a co effort. But as he was sending the music, um, he didn't have any kind of uh, theme in mind. And I would hear the music, and of course the melody line would start popping into my head, and words would start flowing, and I start writing them down. And, and these songs came in, uh, we'll just call it a random order. Uh, and, and I would name them something because I heard it or, or he would send it over with some file name and it would remind me of something. So I'd name the song that and then write words to fit the name. It was weird how, how just all the different methods of how these songs came into being. And after about the sixth song, I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's a jigsaw puzzle here. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be this order. And then other songs kind of were the icing to, to put the, the Wake Up album together. It's 11 tracks, 42 minutes. It's meant to be listened to from beginning to end. It opens with Born in a Hue of Blue and ends with Last Man Standing. And that's the Wake Up album. And then the songs I started writing after that were very current, like Q, where we go one, we go all, Shadow Band, uh, Story Behind the Story, uh, Don't Call Me a Liar, which is about internet trolls. Uh, you know, all these all these solutions to the problems started appearing uh, to me in lyrical form. And I started writing the, the uh, do something album. So we got wake up album and do something album. So that seems to go uh, as a theme. And so I thought, you know, I'm getting ready to start going on the speaking circuit now on my ET experience and uh, answering technological questions. Uh, and, and I thought what would be better than to put the message to humanity uh, along with the solutions uh, to the problems, call it Wake Up and Do Something, write the book, include the CDs with the book, and tour uh, on how that uh, is potentially a solution for our problems involving not controlling our own destinies and, and giving up our powers to parties that we can't uh, we can't ride roughshod over when they get out of hand. I think, well, first, I love when projects, speaking as a musician, I love when projects come together so organically like that. I mean, you didn't start out with a message, but a message kind of appeared. And now you have not just a theme for the album, but you have a theme for the band. This is what our message is, and this is who we are. And it's a very important message. Most songs and books focus on the problem and just pointing out the problem. But what you're driven to is the solution and getting the message of the solution out there. Yeah, well, if I figure if I had a nickel for everybody asking, well, what do we do about it? Uh, why not write a book and get five dollars from everybody? Well, sure. And and most people's responses, that's too much work. 
you know, and that's, I think, part of the problem is that to, to make any change, it takes effort. But I don't think that people understand how simple that effort can be. And it starts with just changing your mindset. Well, you know, track two on the wake up breaking day uh, has in there, uh, if you want anything to change, the status quo has got to be rearranged. That's right. Got to start while you stand in place. Got to meet these issues face to face to face. So uh, it's a matter of uh, you can't fight a foe that you don't know what it is. You know, Sun Tzu, Art of War, you know, know your enemy. In this case, we'll just say the problems or whatever our enemy uh, that we're trying to overcome. So we have to know them as well as we can know them. And to do that, we can't have fear of them. So we have to have enough knowledge to remove the fear so we can think straight so that we can then find a logical solution. And there's always compromise. There's always give and take. Um, but in the end, the solution has to fit within the confines of the rights of the creator, as was mentioned by Tom Jefferson, and uh, you know, put into the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, the rights that we have are from the creator, not from government. Uh, but we only have the rights that we're willing to to know about, fight, and defend. So, so when they're under attack, um, we have to be able to know what we define those limits to be, and 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 make that. Uh, uh, to modern-day parlance, that red line in the sand that the other side is not allowed to go over. And when they do, then then the protection mechanism that the Constitution gave the people, the right to keep their arms, comes out to defend against tyranny. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's been pushing and pushing a long time. McCarthy started, you know, back in the 50s with communism, the communism and the communism. And if you look at the planks uh, uh, entered into the 1963 January congressional record, of what the Communist Party's planks were, that there's like 27 different planks, and they've basically all been accomplished now. So, so we have to say, well, maybe he was right. Maybe we should have been paying attention. Mm-hmm. We should just kind of, you know, pull that old Constitution out, dust it off, and start using it. You know, I was uh, involved in uh, last night. There was a, uh, a health call that D. Wallace was hosting. And I was listening to all the things that that people were saying were were going wrong with them, and everything kept coming back, I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this. Do you think that there's some element of that when it comes to standing up for our rights that people just don't feel that they deserve to have the rights that we should have? I think really it's it's a much more basic thing. It's a matter of, of education. You know, People are uh, from, from from kindergarten are brought up to be more concerned about seventy two pronouns than they are about the fact that they're a creation from a m- most brilliant, powerful creator, whoever that is, and that our mission should be to experience and enjoy life and collect as much of that joy as we can so that we can take it back to Creator when we leave these bodies. I mean, if we're given the information that, yes, you're a fractalization of, of God, in a sense, then maybe we would have more respect for each other and have more desire to learn more about the Creator's creation. Well, yeah, but if Billy and Susie, my next door neighbors, have a better microwave than I do, then I have to get a better one than they have so I can be better than them. Yeah, I see. And that's exactly the mindset that is brought out in a 
unlimited capitalist society. Mm-hmm. You know, capitalism is just as bad as communism is just as bad as fascism when uh, or socialism when when you have greed involved. Sure. And you know, if you think if people think that capitalism is so great, then why is it eight people have the same wealth as three point five billion on this planet? I got nothing against rich people. I got nothing against people who work hard. But you know when somebody's got that much money, there's some evil going and some manipulation, some market something, there's something going on there. And and that's when we, the people, have to say, enough is enough, which is on the wake up album. Yes it is. Uh and 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 uh I think that right now there's such an attack on anything that's wholesome, anything that's positive. Anything that's rewarding another human being, there's this there's this mindset attack because people still have cable TV and they believe what they're seeing on it. Yeah. Now I saw, saw a poll. Uh, uh, I think it was about two years ago now. That was done by uh, either Gallup or Rasmussen, and and they said that they polled you know what percentage of people have faith and belief of what they see on TV news. And it was 88% did not believe that they were getting the truth from TV news. Really? So so if 88% do not believe they're getting the truth from TV news, how many people really are believing it and taking it in? And are we seeing it look like 55 or 60% because that's what the TV news shows us? Or do you look around you and really see um, 55 or 60% of the people that are for, I don't know, killing babies after they're born or, you know, any other, you know, starting wars in countries for no reason to benefit America, not that we should even be starting wars anyway, because it's not in the Constitution to do that. I mean, when, you know, we're, we're supposed to defend, not start wars. Right. Yeah. So, so all those things considered, how many people are really for the craziness that's being passed off as what the majority of people think on television. I, I don't know. I, I got to think that um, assuming that voter ID goes in and, and you know, you have to have an ID to vote, I think, uh, you know, a, a fairly uh, accurate election is what it's going to take to figure out how many people really are fooled. And, and you know, I, I just, I just got to say that you know, without an honest person-for-person representation of voting, the whole concept of a constitutional republic can't work. Well, and, and if such a small percentage believes what the, they see on the news, then how is the news still surviving? You know, they, they're, they've never gone away. They must have enough of a viewership. Why would people watch if they don't believe what they're seeing? Well, let me put two things together for you. Okay. CNN's lost viewership in double digits for seven straight quarters. Wow. They had an infusion of some billions of dollars from the CIA. I'll let you put the rest together. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's, that's definitely interesting. I didn't realize it was that uh, that strong of a number. I'm glad to see that, but I didn't realize it was that strong. That's a good uh, a good step in the right direction for sure. Now, other networks are losing drastically as well, but none of them have had seven quarters of more than 10% loss in subscription viewership. Yeah, that's amazing. 
um, somebody brilliant said this, uh, that if it weren't for the uh, contract with airports, CNN would have no viewership. Because <laughs> you're stuck there. <laughs> so now I know that the book isn't quite finished yet. Do you have a, kind of like a target date that you're hoping to have that available? Yes, I'm, I'm trying to, to, uh, to uh, train myself to stay as focused as possible and do the impossible and have it done by February. So I want it done by February and available by April. Very nice. And that being the case, what then is the status of the second? Because the second album is going to be, have to be done uh, by then, too, so it can be included in the book. Actually, exactly right. I'm keeping myself uh, like right up against the, the rail, aren't I? You are. We've got, I think I have to do, I have to finish two songs. And complete writing, uh, finish the writing and recording, a complete recording, because I've, I've got two that are pretty well written in my mind, and you know that that that's like half of it, because mm-hmm. uh, they're all the parts in my mind at once, and so it's easy for me to write the whole thing in my mind before I ever even open the, the Pro Tools. Right. Um, but but I've got, uh, I think we've got eight, I got seven songs done, two songs that are started recording tracks on and two songs that I haven't started recording tracks on. So uh, I'm going to make it. Yeah, you are. You're close though. And, and then you, you've mixed fairly quickly though. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time in that because you kind of mix as you go, don't you? Uh, for the most part, sometimes I'll, I'll go, okay, I got to leave this one alone for a bit because I need a sound and I'm still trying to work out what that sound is and how to produce it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, things that are subtle in there sometimes and they're, they're so important you know how it is oh absolutely yeah it, it, and uh i i love the rich full sound that you got on the last album so i'm sure this album's going to sound great and it's it's a really great i mean even if you're not wanting to hear the message side of it uh it's just a great rock and roll album it's it's a really good 80s rock album i appreciate that i tried to take the best of the 70s 80s and 90s and put it together uh, into something that uh, people who have some maturity, uh, which generally are people over 40, and then the special ones that are under 40 who still who learned about classic rock and dig it, um, they're, they're all gonna they're all gonna really like this because it's um, it, you know everything from Open Your Eyes, which is a ballad, uh, to Last Man Standing, which is ridiculously rocking. Um, the album has got something for everybody. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a very well-rounded album. And of course, the message being the most important thing, there's so much in there uh, that, that you can either just let it soak into your mind or you can really analyze and think about it and what your role is in, in the world. And uh, I can't wait to hear the second one. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And the book, of course, too. The book's going to be very interesting because, boy, is it going to interweave a lot of things mm-hmm. from ET contact to the message to, you know, all the the um, thoughts that were going on in my head as I was writing the lyrics. Uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool book, I think. Excellent. Well, as we wrap up, uh, you are going to also, I mean, you do engagements uh, as a UFO and ET contact. I should just say an ET contactee because a UFO didn't contact you. Um, <laughs> uh, what uh, What can, where can people see you do that? Well, I'm going to be um, in Laughlin on the, I think it's 3rd, 4th, and 5th that weekend. Um, 
uh, with uh, my UFO packs and talking to people and some albums and um, not speaking there, though. Oh, okay. And then uh, we just reserved our contact in the desert look, uh, you know, thing for next year. And uh, uh, then in April, April's a special event. Here in Sedona, the uh, Cosmic Awakening Conference happens. And last year, I was just vending and, and talking to people, uh, out, you know, in the, in the vending area. But uh, this coming up year, I'm doing three special events with this group. I'm going to be uh, speaking on Friday. I don't know if I think whether I have uh, 60 minutes, something like that, to speak on Friday. Then on Saturday night is a special group UFO viewing where I've reserved the uh, the amphitheater uh, here in town, the pavilion, and uh, there's seating for a couple of hundred people. I'm putting a video wall on the stage and airdropping what's going on on the binoculars and night vision right onto the screen. So everybody will be able to see it without having goggles and without their neck getting tired. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, I should point out that the goggles are a little bit heavy. Well, yeah, there's a there's a tube in there that makes all that magic happen. And it's quite amazing uh, how few parts are in there, but how amazingly well they work. And they're military grade, so they're really tough. Yeah. Then the third thing, got to mention the third thing, I'm going to be performing with um, um, four, three or four or five other people um, doing some kind of uh, new age uh, kind of uh, meditational. I'll probably be playing a lot of sitar mm-hmm. uh, uh, music. Nice. So that that will be fun too. Oh, very, very cool. You've got so many great things going on and you're getting your message out there, which is the most important thing. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to have the links uh, to all your stuff in the show notes and sign up for uh, for the mailing list and uh, Michael will send you stuff that will help you follow him. Go see him on tour. Uh, get the book, get the albums. It's all really, really amazing stuff. And most importantly, if you are going to be in the Sedona area, click the link that is in the show notes and uh, go take Michael's tour because it is it's something that I, I have to say, whether you believe in it, whether you don't believe in it, just to go out there for an hour or so and and look through the night vision goggles and see all the things that you can see. Uh, it's, it's so amazing and so worth doing. It's, it's one of those things that I think everybody should experience once in your life, like going to an ice bar <laughs> or going to a silent disco. Yes. Yeah. And where no one is, uh, is on the beat because, well, you really don't need to be with disco anyway. <laughs> we could take that all kinds of places. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for coming back on. Uh, we'll have to have you back on when everything comes out. And, uh, and we can talk about it a little bit more, but, uh, man, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks again for taking me on the tour. Always great to hang out with you and Carla. And, uh, I had an amazing time. Well, remember you always have a place to stay whenever you come to Sedona. Well, thank you very much. You take care my friend. We'll talk again soon. All right. Good night. Good night. Yeah, so seriously, just just amazing stuff. That was a great night. Get out there to Sedona. For one, you should just go check it out. It's a magical place. A lot of energies there uh, based on the uh, energetic lines of the earth, which are natural and uh, great people, great stores, um, some really nice restaurants and a great place to just get away. And uh, if you turn off from I-17, I think it was on... uh, 
was it 85 the 85 that's a beautiful drive through uh through the mountains there um it makes it, it just makes the trip so much more enjoyable a little twisty and uh, on the gps it looked like uh i was uh doing the maze on the back of a cereal box but it was a great time check out sedona ufotourguide.com check out the youtube can- channel and come back on halloween for our episode on ghosts <laughs>